Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of SEPAD Pod, the sectarianism, proxies, and desectarianization podcast based at Lancaster University. I'm Simon Mabern, and today I'm joined by Maria Louise Clausen, postdoctoral fellow at the Danish Institute for International Studies. Maria Louise has written extensively on, on a range of different aspects of, of Middle Eastern security, of, of state building, focusing predominantly on the case of Yemen. And she was at Prismas recently, and we had a chance to have a, a really fascinating discussion uh, concerning her paper on Yemen and sovereignty and drones. And I'm really looking forward to putting all of these things together to really get at the heart of, of what's driving her research. So, Maria Louise, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's our pleasure. It's it's really exciting. I think we should say from the off as well that uh, that you did your PhD at Aarhus, correct? That is correct, yes. And who was your supervisor? Uh, Morten Velgren. Exactly. So it's yeah. uh, just for the record, we should say that uh, that Morten has a vested interest in this. And uh, <laughs> once again, he's central to, to much of what, what is happening in in Middle Eastern studies. But uh, Marie-Louise, can you tell us why you got interested in in the Middle East, please? Well, I mean, I have a background in political science and it's one of those things where actually I wanted to be an anthropologist, but then I was living in a small city in Odense in Denmark and you couldn't study anthropology there. So I was kind of looking around and then I thought political science, that sounded like an interesting field as well. But I really didn't want to work like in a local administration or something like that. So I was trying to find something more interesting. Um, so I took some uh, some courses at an institute for area studies um, in Odense. Right. And that kind of increased my interest in the Middle East. But then as I did my bachelor in political science, I also decided, well, I, w I wanted to, to pursue this anthropology. So I actually moved and I, I stopped being a political scientist and I started a new bachelor in anthropology okay. in Copenhagen. Um, but then after three years of anthropology, I thought, well, this was too detailed, too much ethnographic um, <laughs> stuff. So I kind of went back to political science and did my master in political science. And while I was doing this, because I spent so many years studying, um, I was trying to get a sense of what's going around on in the world. And I did this by volunteering, as I think a lot of people do. Mm. Um, and this brought me to different places in the Middle East, Egypt, um, Syria. And then in 2005, it, it brought me to Yemen. Okay. Um, and um, that that's kind of how I then discovered this country that I must admit that I had hardly heard about it before I got this opportunity to go there. Sure. Um, so, so I came there and it just, even though I had, like I said, I'd been visiting a number of different countries in the Middle East, but I came to Yemen and it just had a huge impact on me. Um, I was uh, a relatively young volunteer by then and I met these people um, and I just couldn't sleep. Um, that, that's how um, it impacted me. So I, I went back home and I thought I need to understand this place and I started reading. Um, and of course, there's a lot of literature on, on Yemen, but there's not that much. So um, and, and there's a num there's also literature that doesn't really um, explain what's going on. I felt there was a need for more knowledge. So, I, so that's kind of how I started to think, OK, I need to go into this field um, of, of understanding um, the empirical context and the empirical events that I saw unfolding in the following years. Okay, that's that's really interesting. Um, before we get on to the the PhD with Morton, I I wonder, can you 
Can you tell us why anthropology? What was it about that discipline that, that piqued your interest? Well, it, it's kind of embarrassing, but 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 initially it was actually because I was watching Indiana Jones. <laughs> Fantastic. And I do realize that he's an archaeologist, which is something <laughs> different. But that was kind of uh, how the, the small uh, Maria who was uh, watching television, she, she got really interested in these cultural um, and, and exotic places. And then, you know, I, I got a little bit older and I started reading and trying to figure out what 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 do I want to be when I grow up was kind of the the, the scenario. Right. And, and then I, I fell upon this this field of anthropology. And I just it really appealed to me that you got this chance to go on field work and to actually talk to people and, and try to see the world through the eyes of, of people around the world. And then it was even, I mean, this was when I was in high school and I would tell people that I wanted to be an anthropologist and they wouldn't really know what it was. Yeah, of um, course. So, um, but I, I just thought this idea of actually going and talking to people and trying to understand them on their own terms um, appealed to me. Right. Yeah. I, okay. I, I can certainly see how that would be appealing. Um I'm not entirely sure of the link between Indiana Jones and anthropology, but perhaps we'll uh, we'll gloss over that for now. Um, going back to Yemen in 2005, then what was what was it about that 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 really spoke to you? You say you couldn't sleep. What what memories of that period do you have? Well, I mean, it was a little bit different because then I was, like I said, I was a volunteer. So we we arrived, and then I was kind of introduced to this project where I also met a lot of volunteers and a lot of employees. It was in the aftermath of, of 9-11. So this was part of, of a lot of these um, projects that were made to create um, you know, partnerships between the Arabic world and the, the European or Western world. And I just, there were all these notions about what these places were and especially a place like Yemen that we kind of lack um, knowledge about. And then I met these people who were just incredibly friendly and so curious um, and, and really wanted to get to know us and understand what, what we were about. Um, so, um, and then it was just so beautiful. I mean, it, that was also just, I, I saw a place that was nothing like anything I'd seen before. Um, so it just kind of hit me on, on, all, on all aspects of, of um, sure. my both intellectual and emotional and everything kind of um, um, collapsed into something that really impacted me. Wow. Okay. So it's it's quite a quite an impact. It's it's clearly had on you. So you did your volunteering, and then then what? You decided that you wanted to go and, and study Yemen further for the PhD. Well, actually, the first step was that I decided that I would write my master thesis on this partnership that was between the, the Danish Red Cross and the Yemen Red Crescent. Okay. And by then, I was becoming increasingly critical is perhaps, but I was seeing that these partnerships and this idea of how external um, actors, and in this case, you have the Danish government that supports um, a Danish NGO that then goes to Yemen, supports an NGO there, and then you have that translated down. And then when you talk to the volunteers and the people who are actually implementing the projects, they have their own idea about where they're going with this project. So I thought it was really interesting because I had been part of this project, I could see the kind of chain of, of how this project was translated down um, from the Danish government and, and all the way down to a Yemeni volunteer. Um, 
And then what happened was because I had been, you know, three years of anthropology, five years of political science, um, things in between. So I decided I need a break actually from from studying. So I, yeah. I spent three and a half years just working a, a regular job. Right. And then uh, I always knew I wanted to do the PhD, but I also knew that I wanted to do a PhD on Yemen and right. state building. Okay. So what I did was I started looking for opportunity to, to do that PhD. Um, and, and since, you know, Yemen is kind of, it's not the most, um, it, you, I, I don't know if you can call it a niche country, but it's not a, a country that has a lot of um, attention. So I kind of had to also frame my, my project to get someone to actually believe in it as a PhD project. <laughs> right, okay. And that person was obviously Morton. Well, at, at least that's where I ended up, yeah. <laughs> sure. So let, let's talk a little bit about the PhD. And uh, I, I would just say that hopefully this is going to be turned into a book so, so other people can, can read it in due course. But, but let's talk a little bit about what you sought to do in it. And, and maybe um, we can touch on the field work and, and some of the language skills as well. Mm. Well, I mean, the, the book also, I mean, it came out of these experiences coming and, and my initial um, experience in Yemen being more on the ground and meeting uh, volunteers and, and locals who were working, but then also being interested in this aspect of, of, of they were working within the context of a project that was supported by the Danish state as an external actor who wanted to support state building in Yemen. Um, so in my PhD, I really wanted to build on this and to try and understand state building from different levels. And the way that I kind of at least try to conceptualize it is, is at least to see it maybe you can say in three broad categories. You have the international level, um, perhaps you could also bring in here the regional aspects, but this is where I, I start to discuss uh, notions of, of um, uh, the failed state. I have this, this aspect of what I do where I think um, that, that it's really um, interesting how the world can look different from different standpoints, but also how the same word can have different meanings or change meaning over time. So I looked into how being defined as a failed state can facilitate or make possible certain actions. And in the case of Yemen, I argue that because Yemen has been defined as a failed state, this has kind of made it easier for external actors to intervene because it kind of... Um, undermines the idea of sovereignty. Sure. So um, let's yeah. just break that down a second, if I may, and, and, and talk a little bit about that, that concept of, well, the two concepts of state building and state failure. What are you understanding by those? Well, but that's, that's the thing. I think the way that I approach state building is to, to try and see it as an interaction between different levels, because you can, you can approach state building from a very overall abstract level, uh, warmix states or these kinds of theories. But then I think it's really interesting to also look at how state building plays out at national level, where you have the national elites trying to grapple for, for power, resources, influence, um, these, these kinds of processes. But then at the same time, you also have this local level, this, this place where it actually, I mean, state building education, for example, is a field that I've looked into, because as I see it, with the, when you want to build a state or you, you you need to kind of educate or the, the educational um, system plays a role in in bringing out ideas of the state to the broader publication um, and I just thought 
if I want to study state building, I need to understand these processes on different levels and how they play out. Um, and then I've always had I had a problem with this idea of state failure. Um, first of all, it, it requires that there is a state that can fail. I'm not saying that a place like Yemen is a very well-functioning state. It's obviously not. But a lot of the the what is being said within the state failure literature, there's, for example, a lot of discussions about um, the interactions between formal and informal um, institutions between state and non-state actors. And I just felt like in the Yemeni context, for example, and, and now also where I've started to look into Iraq, I feel like these concepts do not really um, describe what is going on. Or there's a very Eurocentric bias in understanding um, how these these concepts work um, and, and what they imply in terms of of having a well-functioning political order in a mm. place. So does that stem from a, a concern or a frustration with, with concepts of statehood then? Well, it, it's difficult. And I think it's something that I'm, I'm really, uh, where I'm still working on, on placing myself. I mean, I do have a lot of, of frustration with, with these general theories about statehood and, and state building and, and these ideas on this, on the same at the same time, I also see that there is something called the state. There is something in the state concept that makes a difference for people, even in places where the state is largely absent. So, so I've tried to, uh, and as I develop as a researcher, I hope to be able to find ways where I can combine different aspects or different theories um, about, I mean, from IR, from political science in broader terms, from public administration, um, but also with a deep empirical knowledge to try and maybe not completely reformulate, but try and, and get these concepts to have a better usage in, in these different concepts uh, or empirical contexts. Um, I, I, th I think, I mean, I, I know that in working in a place like Yemen, people will usually say, well, it's incredibly complex. And of course, I agree that it is very complex. But I, I, I think we should still try to understand what's going on. And then there is this balance between wanting to show complexity and we want to do this with, with uh, respect for the empirical detail. But then at the same time, I think we should also try to understand this, this complexity using more general tools, um, both because I, I think that the, these general tools can be used, but also because this is the way that we communicate to a wider audience. Um, mm. So does... <laughs> I have so many questions, but I'm going to try and keep them focused to, to this particular point. But I, I wonder how useful your, your anthropology background is at this at this task then. Well, I mean, it's definitely something that has shaped me in the in the way that um, I'm obviously building a lot on on qualitative data that I go and I do field work, um, at least um um, I, I, I am aware that a, uh, an anthropology would say that I don't really do field work, but in the political science context, I spent a total of about six months in, in Yemen. Um, so that has clearly influenced me. And even though, I mean, what I, I also said recently, maybe at Christmas, you know, there are no people in the articles that I write, but they are shaped and informed by people. So I hope that the people who have helped me understand the context 
as I understand it, that they see that their points are somehow reflected in in, a, in what I write, despite them not being there as people. Yeah. Okay. That that's really interesting to know, and it's yeah, I, I can certainly see how that that anthropological influence is is there and and speaks to what you're trying to do. I wonder, can we can we talk a little bit about the fieldwork process? I mean, Yemen is is. In in recent years, especially, an incredibly difficult place to to go and conduct academic work, and 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 you've spent, as you say, six months there. I, I wonder, can you say a little bit about the challenges that you you had to face and and overcome to to actually get the data that you've got for the work that you've done? Yeah, I mean. Obviously, um, Yemen is, is not an easy place, but I will say that it's probably easier than most people tend to believe that it is. Um, I haven't been back to Yemen since late 2014, so that's uh, um, something that also should be, be made clear. Um, and I think also that there is an increased attention towards field work um, and the difficulties related to field work, also within political science. Um, I, I do think that, you know, one thing is talking about security, and obviously there's a lot of, of different um, aspects to this where you should should take that serious. But what I also experienced during my field was, world work was that there's a lot of things that are much more mundane, in a, in a sense, um, that actually took up a lot of my energy. And these were things like uh, electricity cuts or managing to wash my clothes. Or, of course, transportation has both a security aspect, but it's also sometimes just about getting from one place to another. Mm. Um, and then this awareness of, of how... As a, as, as a researcher that does field research, I, I have an impact on the data I can collect. I cannot hide from the fact that I am a female um, Danish researcher. Um, and, and this both impacts how I'm seen and the, the data I'm able to uh, collect. Um, it also, mm, I mean, you will usually be, be taught uh, that you should be aware of your own biases and, and what you signal. But I think we also have to be aware that other people perceive us in a different way. And we signal a lot of different things, even when we do not intend to signal things. Yeah. Um, for example, doing research in Yemen um, in, in 2013, 2014, um, a lot of the international actors had left and those who remained were uh, largely somehow involved in the political negotiations that were going on. So it's very likely that people saw me um, and then they kind of positioned me in re in relation to that ongoing political dialogue, especially then when I started asking questions. That sure. Were, yeah. Um, and then my final point, I mean, and this is just just because I think it's it's problematic, especially working in a place like Yemen, which is obviously. Um, um, a difficult place in terms of security, but I just think it's very, very unfortunate if this problematic security situation allows us to create kind of black spots on the map. This idea that Yemen or other places are so dangerous that we cannot go there and do research. I mean, in a sense, they become black spots, so they become increasingly dangerous because we can't go there. Um, and this is not to trivialize danger, but it's also just saying that the places that we don't know about is often the places that we consider the most dangerous. 
Mm. Um, and then I would really encourage those who have a serious interest uh, to to go there and not leave it to those. I don't know if there's an academic term, but these kind of storm hunters that go to produce these dramatic um, pieces where they position themselves as these heroic people who are uh, facing danger. Um, and I don't really think that that is uh, what we need in Yemen, and I don't think it's it's necessary. So um, I would much rather have that we support serious researchers who go to do serious research and not over-dramatize. Yeah, and that's that's really important, I think. Not only sort of the acknowledgement of, of our own positionality and our own biases, but that broader acceptance that, and um, acknowledgement that there are these, these quote-unquote storm hunters, but that that, mm. that is damning and damaging for, um, for, for local people, for, for broader understandings of, of contemporary conflicts, not just in Yemen, of course, but, mm-hmm. but in Iraq and Syria and, and, and other places that have been beset by conflict. So yeah. I think that's a really important point. I'm, I'd like to come back to Yemen in a minute, if I may, but I just wonder if you can say a little bit about about your work on Iraq. And you've you've done a little bit of work that, that seems to be asking similar types of questions about statehood in Iraq. And I wonder what lessons you've learned, uh, or what lessons you can take to the Iraqi case from the Yemeni case. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting. I mean, it's part of this being um, uh, um, uh, not a, a being a temporary staff. So I, I got a postdoc project, and this project was based on a research question that asked how and to what degree does Islamic State present an ideational challenge to state-based order in the Middle East? And then Iraq was my my empirical field. As part of this project, I, I decided to look more into. I mean, it's it's the same topics that are interest me issues issues of state building, and under that, it's issues of power, of sovereignty, of legitimacy, um, and in relation to that, I think you also have to look at um, at, at services and the state's ability to provide for for citizens. So. In, in terms of Iraq, and I, and I haven't really been able to publish much about it yet, but then it, it's really about understanding how different understandings of legitimacy and discussions about sovereignty um, play out. And I think here there are a lot of commonalities. You also see, for example, the, the role of external actors, both in, in Yemen increasingly and in Iraq. So um, I, I think you can you can gain a lot actually from from also comparing different cases in the when it makes sense. Um, but then these discussions about sovereignty and 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 power and state building, um, I think that there's a lot um, that where these cases can actually inform each other. Hmm. Can you say a little bit about what those what that point of of informing might be? Well, I think I mean what's interesting here is, for example, in relation to to um, to Iraq and, and Yemen, I think in in some cases you can see that Iraq has been through some of I mean, and I think some will be uh, will not agree with me in, in formulating it this way, but as a from a from a certain distance, you can maybe argue that Iraq had had it, its war and then 
it has been under the the influence of external actors for a, a longer time period and a, in a more invasive way than than Yemen. But then, as you saw the the Arab Spring develop, and and suddenly you had this this notion of of Yemen as a proxy war. Um, the sectarian aspect suddenly got some some sway in Yemen that has otherwise not been been particularly relevant in in terms of understanding the Yemeni context. Um, there's also a very sort of practical um, aspect to it, um, just in the, the way of, of having people who have been involved in, for example, writing the Iraqi constitution, and then they travel to Yemen and then they are involved or supporting the process of writing the Yemeni constitution following the Arab Spring and the, um, the, the things that happened there. So... And, and I think when you look at the processes, also in more detail, you can see a lot of the same ideas being replicated uh, in Iraq and then in Yemen. Hmm. And I'm sure if you looked at, at different contexts, you would be able to see elements uh, there as well. It, it's also something that I've heard from, from Yemeni, and, and I don't know if this is Yemen-specific, but they will. I had many people tell me that it was really problematic sometimes because they also had this experience of of international actors uh, being employed by the UN or the World Bank or these these big um, institutions that they would come to Yemen and they wouldn't really know much about Yemen but they would be coming from a different context and then they would more or less just copy paste what they had been doing there into the Yemeni context. Sure Um, and I guess that's where the the, the serious, rigorous uh, political science anthropological work is is really necessary to contextualize and demonstrate the specificities of, of, of each of these political contexts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we've, we've taken up a, a great deal of your time already, Maria Louise, but I wonder, can you just say a little bit, you have, um, you have Two two recent publications that that look at military intervention in Yemen, and one is is in Third World Quarterly, entitled "Justifying Military Intervention," and the other was uh, a contribution for the the latest POMEPS, uh, looking at Saudi military activism in Yemen. So I wonder, can you just tell us a little bit about how all of that fits in the context of of state fragility and and state sovereignty and things like that? Yeah, well, I mean, especially the the, the article um, for Third World Quarterly was came out of my my PhD and and was kind of a, a continuation of this idea that that the way that we deal with Yemen as this place of of anarchy, this place of of underdevelopment, also um, kind of facilitates um, a certain language or that makes it more likely that you can do an intervention and then having investigating how Yemen has been talked about in here in the specific it's the the UN context and how the Saudi-led coalition has kind of applied this language of Yemen as a place of anarchy that needs external help to be saved um, is used to legitimize a, a military intervention that um, regardless of, of what you feel about it, it has had um, devastating humanitarian consequences. Mm. Um, and then the the other um, the other um, uh, work was was more also trying to understand what's actually going on a little on the on the Saudi side, how much of, of what's going on because obviously Saudi Arabia has been involved in this this intervention in Yemen for for more than. For a, for a number of years, and and the perception in the beginning seemed to be that this could be an easily um, 
um, done with uh, military engagement, it was not expected to take years. Yeah. So why hasn't it stopped? Why hasn't Saudi Arabia um, extracted itself? Why hasn't it won? What are some of the mechanisms that are also going on on the Saudi side that can explain the continuation of the intervention? And I think here there are both some structural aspects, but there are also some more kind of actor-oriented aspects going into Mohammed bin Salman and his role in relation to the rest of the royal family and the, the internal uh, politics of Saudi Arabia. It's absolutely fascinating, and they're, they're two very interesting pieces that I I strongly urge people to to have a look at. But Maria, we've we've taken up so much of your time, and it's been really interesting to to talk through all of these these different parts of of, of your work. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, and I'm very, very happy that I could be part of this. I've listened to episodes of the SEPAD pod um, and, and found it very interesting. And um, as I said it, in the beginning, it was also a little bit intimidating for a, a relatively young scholar as me <laughs> to be part of this uh, this uh, SEPAD pod, who has had so many distinguished guests, um, including my own PhD supervisor. <laughs> well, thank you for, for coming on anyway. It's been absolutely wonderful. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I've, I've learned a lot, and it's... It's provoked many, uh, many a thought, as always, when I talk to you, Maria Louise. So thank you so much, and uh, we hope to speak to you soon. And as for everyone else, thank you for listening. Until next time. <laughs>